podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and on today's show, I am joined by Mr. Tom Watt. Hello. That's a that's a big highfalutin intro. I feel like I should be rushing down with my Titantron music blaring. <laughs> <laughs> and Joel Sked. Joel, what would your Titantron music be? No idea. I, I, I didn't understand any of the, that sentence after what would your and then that was it <laughs> what would your entrance music be if you were a wrestler oh I think you've answered uh, this before I, for, I think it was for darts um, and it would just be something ridiculous like uh, Sinead O'Connor nothing compares to you <laughs> that was it that was it <laughs> you did pick that before we asked everybody to pick the wrestling theme song for one of the playlists we've done and you picked that oh yeah yeah that, that. So, so, so it was so it was <laughs> oh, I'd love to see a wrestler adopt that or a darts player it'd just be <laughs> it would throw off throw off the, you, the, you just the you, you visually see the atmosphere leave the stadium <laughs> yes, yes you would Right, uh, we're, we're together to talk through the, the four games from the weekend that involved top flight clubs So those were the Betfred Cup semi-finals and the two Scottish, pre- Scottish Premiership games as well We'll put the Premiership games to one side for the moment And start with the big matches from the weekend Those are of course the Betfred Cup games at Hamden One on Saturday evening, the other one on Sunday afternoon Slash evening And... Not the, not the best of games, but uh, still plenty of talking points. And we should begin with the game on Saturday. And Hibs. Good old, reliable Hibs. You, can, you, can, you, can, you can't rely on them to do anything. It's it for make a fucking arse of it. And that's uh, certainly what happened on, on Saturday. Joel, I'll go to yourself first, because I know you'll be chomping at the bit. What did you make of the game? Uh, I mean... It was it was different for me because like when Hibs do Hibs things like that, it's it's always more fun to watch it. By all accounts, they were uh, the better team for a large chunk of the first half, certainly the first uh, half half hour or so. So until uh, St Johnston uh, went ahead, unfortunately, I was working at the Hearts game that day, so I was unable to watch it live, so it was a case of watching it back on the Sunday, when you when you kind of know what's already happened, so it leaves, uh, loses, sorry, a bit of that luster, a bit of that amusement because you, you can see it, so it was still enjoyable, uh, enjoyable none, uh, none the same, but it's a uh, bigger picture, it, it seemed like Hips had gotten over there Ability to to hips it, but it's come it's come rolling back uh, these last few months. Yeah, there's a lot of criticism of Jack Ross after the game that he is basically kind of well in the league overall, although they've not played that well recently. He's tended to make them a bit more resolute, a bit less kind of looking like bottom merchants. But he's certainly getting the the kind of he's certainly been accused by the Hibs fans of kind of returning this Hibs at it tag because that's them. Um, now kind of managed to completely arse it up again in a big game. And it's so there's obviously there's this game. There's the, the Scottish Cup semi final defeat to Hearts early in the season. But there's also kind of maybe some other games if you look at in the league, like losing both home and away to Aberdeen, failing to defeat Celtic when, when two goals up and Celtic were at their nadir really or, or, or well Celtic have had a few nadirs this season, but that was one of them. And also as well, you know, needing a, a last-minute equaliser to get a draw against Celtic at Celtic Park when... You go back to you go back to last season as well because of the uh, the last derby of the season, Easter Road. I mean, Hibs could have uh, could have essentially put a, a, another nail in Hart's coffin towards the championship. Obviously, we didn't know what was about to happen was going to happen. And it was a, a absolute abysmal performance to get beat 3-1. So Tom, what do you think of the, the general criticism of, of Jack Ross? You've obviously seen Tony's, well I'd assume you'd seen Tony's 
uh, thread about it on, on Twitter and things that he, he posted in the group chat himself. What do you make of it all? I mean, I, I, I'll start by giving some... The, the one thing I can say that uh, in his defence is Hibbs did start well and you can't really mitigate for Jamie Murphy's miss. Uh, and the, the first 20 minutes when they were creating a lot of like 4v4s and opportunities out, out wide. But every big decision that was made tactically kind of came back to came back to haunt them i mean a, a lot obviously this is this is with hindsight but you know jackson Irvin was very involved but then tired chris cadden unsurprisingly looked knackered after 50 minutes boyle couldn't get involved nisbet was isolated and because of what callum davidson did tactically was was pretty smart jamie murphy was essentially being asked to play was was doing a lot more tracking back than he was he was comfortable with and these things are kind of fine margins, but I do think there is now a, a bit, there, there's enough of a, a repetitive pattern with Jack Ross for this to now be a thing where he's almost overthinking his his selections. He's got a big squad. He's got a number of ways of playing it. And, and obviously the way that he wants to have a squad is a squad that's able to play in fairly comfortably in four or five different, different setups. The problem with that is if that's, if that's the plan, you need to be able to change games. You need to be able to uh, impose your style on 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 teams when things go against you. So you know th- th- they had the momentum, they lost the momentum through the goal, but they couldn't get back into it. And ultimately, the the sort of tactical changes that Ross tried to to do made Hibs even worse. <laughs> so I, I'm, I I think they've almost he's he's had a habit occasionally of finding problems where there aren't them. And I mean, reading some of the, the comments about Sunderland fa- from Sunderland fans back in the, the sort of 2018-19 season, being very reactive to the team that they're playing rather than we've got a better squad, we've got better players. This is the team that I feel is the, the, the best 11 that I've got that can go out and impose themselves on a smaller squad and on a, you know, St. Johnson have been good this season largely, but don't tend to score an awful lot of goals, certainly don't tend to score three goals. Um, and if the squad was built for this flexibility, then he's got to, the, you know, the buck stops with him. He's got to be able to make game-changing decisions and game-changing tactical switches. And I think ultimately all of the big decisions that he made around the selection, around the setup, you know, came back to bite him. There, there are mitigating circumstances, I think, obviously, in the miss and some inexplicable defending from Ryan Porteous. But again, if you're going to pick Ryan Porteous in a, in a, in that, he, he does have that in him. So I, I, I think. Most of the criticism, if not all of it, is entirely is entirely justified, and it's it's very easy to sort of try and find a narrative in this. But I do think part of it may be that if you've come through and learned your coaching, um, and and kind of earned your managerial spurs at, at, at St Mirren and Aloha, part of what will make you punch above your weight is looking at your next opponent and looking at how they set up and trying to to figure out what you can do to mitigate risk. You then go to a team like a Sunderland or a Hibs where in, you know, 10 out of 12 games, seven out of 12 games, probably you, you should be able to just set up with your best 11 and minor tweaks are needed rather than, you know, ripping it all up and starting again and throwing on some untested players and being your own worst enemy, which I think was ultimately the, the problem that Hibs had. Joe, what did you make of the, the starting eleven? Because you can you can look at it another way and say that they were kind of because for me I thought that Ross's biggest feeling in this game wasn't necessarily the decisions to start with. It was it was the kind of it was the decision to change the the team after going two 0 down because that was undoubtedly the wrong thing to do because the the shape had generally been working not too bad. They'd lost two goals to set pieces, which is obviously a, a feeling on. On you know not only the defenders but the coaching staff as well. If, if your team is struggling to defend set pieces, then you, you kind of have to look at yourself and look at what's being done in the training ground. But at the same time, I think they were still, in terms of overall play, the better side at that point in time. And instead of instead of kind of panicking and putting just throwing on another striker, uh, it's kind of like it's one of these kind of tired you know lazy kind of lines of thinking in football where you think. Right, okay, we need to score goals, so the best thing to score goals is to fling it on our forward. Whereas, I think if they just 
put Doy John because I've been playing with two up front anyway. Put Doy John, keep the same shape of the team, and then just try and, and increase the pressure on St Johnson as the game went on. But the, the change to the system just completely killed any hope they had of getting back into the game because for that point forward, St Johnson were the better side. Yeah, so two aspects of that: the change to what was four four two with Jamie Murphy as uh, Jamie Murphy can play wide, but has to play wide in a four three three, not a four four two, and because he's he just doesn't have it in him to to kind of track back. He's like the the Stevie Malin of wingers when it comes to uh, to, to the defensive responsibility. With this starting eleven, I think listen to Ross's comments after the game, and he mentioned about like the, the team's reaction to going going behind the, the character and the guts. This always always question when managers go down that route because you you, you look. I think it was. Um, uh, Kenny McIntyre asked him if Ross would do anything different with like the starting eleven or, or tactics, and I think at that point in the interview, Ross was already fed up with Kenny McIntyre. But he said he basically said no, and as Tom has, has said and yourself has said, he did make um, did make mistakes. For me, obviously, Cad, it's easy with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Cadden wasn't and as as expected isn't going to be uh, isn't going to be fully fit for me I, when you play at Hamden Park and I think you want to get Martin Boyle wide I've I know Hibs fans I know I think you've made the point as well Fowler that you want Martin Boyle to be be higher but I think it worked well just going back a couple of years ago where Hibs kind of played a lopsided. Three five two, where you had Stevenson was a bit more defensive, and then Boyle was given a bit more freedom to to get up and down up and down the line. The I think you need to obviously Nisbet playing with Dodge is the is a smart thing. So with, with hindsight, it would have played Doyle, uh, Boyle uh, wide or wide on the right, and had Nisbet um, alongside Dodge. I thought Jackson Irvin again. He, he was another one you kind of question fitness wise uh, to play. Uh, such a big game, a big pitch, but I thought he was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. So it was kind of just tweaks uh, to the starting eleven. But yeah, the, the the main one of these main tactical errors was going four four two against St Johnston and just giving up the giving up the centre of the pitch essentially. Tom, is it a bit uh, a bit premature to say that Jack Ross is under pressure? Um, no, I think he is under pressure. I think it it would be unfair for him to be under. You know, for there to be serious questions about his job, whilst there's you know still a, a fair bit to play for, but you don't need, a, especially this season where there are a lot of not very good teams, you don't need to have too many bad games in a row for pressure to start to build. Uh, and Hibs have now blown two big opportunities this season when they were heavy favourites, um, and in both games the. His decision making has 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 come into question. It's not necessarily been, um, you know, they, they've not been in the fight um, the way that they they haven't been able to impose their way their way on games. I, I think we do have to give a lot of credit to Callum Davidson. I thought they were there's a very good piece um, by St Johnson fan analysis on on the changes that he made, in particular switching uh, Conway and and Witherspoon and how that how that exploited Jamie Murphy at having to track Sean Rooney, which ultimately were, was um, where Hibs, uh, where a lot of the damage to Hibs was done. Um, so I think an awful lot of credit does have to go to, to Davidson. But I think it, it it's not unexpected for teams that have bad runs. And I think Hibs have had, what, one, one win in the last seven now um, and two fairly meek uh, cup exits uh, so far this this calendar season or this, whatever we're calling it. Um, <laughs> then I, I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair for him to be under pressure and for there to be questions asked. And, uh, yeah, let's move on to St Johnson now uh, because they were the victors of the game, so we should definitely talk about them before we move on. And uh, so you brought up the man, look at a man of the hour, Sean Rooney. He was. I said before the game that it's a major blow for St. Johnson that Danny McNamara went down to Millwall and they were, they were given a replacement, but obviously the replacement either isn't quite on the same level or isn't fit enough to, to start a game of this magnitude in, I think his name's James Brown. And I thought, right, that's it. Sean Rooney instead, so that's going to be a, a major... Uh, that's like a, 
that's going to be a major weakness for St. Johnson because this McNamara was one of their kind of shining lights in the first half of the season, and to lose him and to have like a, I know that Rooney's a right back by trade, but he looks like a centre half. So you're kind of like you're almost thinking like this is an auxiliary centre half played at played at right wing back here. But you saw on 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 Saturday that he's got a terrific engine. He does for somebody his size deceptively quick you get up and down the park and he had just a, a storming game this is yeah the, Rooney was is one who stood out for me against St Mirren last week when he played played wing back he just looks like a like just a, a racehorse uh, up and down up and down the right flank he kind of like um, he's got a similar build and movement to Jason Naismith where they are they do, like I said, look like centre backs, uh, but can shift. And when they get moving, it's hard to stop them because he is so physically imposing. I think I read. I think it was Eric Nicholson uh, read him pre-match, and uh, he was kind of looking at the preview, and he said that Sean Rooney is basically he is the um, kind of fourth centre back. So if one of Gordon McCarter cared out, he will fill in as he did against uh, Dundee United in the in the two-two draw, and he's capable of playing that. But he is a very different type of player to to McNamara. But I think he is he can ju- he can be as devastating. I think McNamara's a probably a better crosser. He's he's, he's probably. Uh, more McNamara is more of a winger than Rooney's defend a uh, defender, but in terms of Rooney when he gets going, I think he can power into the box, and then it's just a question of getting his head up and f- picking someone out. So another Johnson player I'd probably look at, especially since Saints fans have really not been that big in him for a lot of the season. He's had his moments, but overall, I think. They've been a little bit underwhelmed with his signing, but he certainly played well on Saturday, and he's been mentioned already, and that's Craig Codway. Uh, somebody who, I think at times on Saturday, looked a bit more like the Craig Codway of, of old, like kind of turning back the clock a little bit, dude, kind of sprinting runs down the wing, looking to take on defenders, acting like a, like a proper winger, whereas a lot of this season, he's kind of been relied on a bit more for his crossing, and obviously considering he's 34, I think 34, 35, then he doesn't quite have the pace as he as he used to do at Dundee United and just kind of skin fullbacks for for fun. He'll he'll more likely now kind of stop uh, and then kind of look to shift the ball and maybe even put in like a an inserting cross rather than getting to the byline, putting out swinging one. But he was certainly instrumental in getting uh, Johnson in front and then uh, scoring the the third goal as well, which just capped everything off. And, and you knew for that point. I mean, you say this most games, uh, 3 0, that'll be it. But I think everybody knew for certain there was going to be absolutely no danger of some sort of historic comeback happening at Hamden once he put the ball in the back of the net. The yeah, I think um, I think ta- technically I think he was he was a really important switch as well. Like the way that he, if you had Witherspoon who sort of drifts inside can can kind of go inside and out, and you've got Conway who who was basically trying, uh, if not hit the byline, was certainly more of a a, a a traditional winger. It was a very different proposition. And I don't think Hibbs ever quite got to got to grips with that when when that was moved around. Um so with the yeah. Yeah, with the with the four three it's with the three four three St. Johnson play. So it started off with uh, it started off with um Conway on the right and um uh, well, Conway good. on the right and on on the on the left. So naturally Naturally, Conway is just going to go on the outside, so he's going to play as a, a winger. But when you're playing that formation with Chris Kane up front, you need your two, uh, the, 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 the two wider players in the three to play a bit more central to give a bit more support. And you've seen that with the build up to the first goal. So obviously, Conway started on right. He moved across to the left, and you've seen with the first goal in the build up, he actually comes really narrow and it allows Scott Tanzer to overlap him. And then he drives from a central position and ends up winning the corner, which uh, which leads to the the first goal scored by Kerr. Uh, before we move on to this game, I just want to say on a actually I've got one more point, one more kind of analytical point, which was the header for the first goal. So I just wanted to bring this up because we often see it the other way when it's talked about where you see like the ball goes in at either of the posts and people say, well, why didn't they have a man on the line? I thought that was a perfect example of why a lot of the times it's pointless to have a man on the line. And the statistics show that you're more likely to defend a corner successfully if you don't have men on the line and instead use them in the penalty box to restrict space. And I thought that was a perfect example. I think it was Jamie Murphy who was on the post. And the header, the header goes in pretty much where Murphy's standing, about a 
half a yard to his left. But it's it's headed from about five or six yards. It's got so much power in it that unless it was right at Murphy, he, he really has no chance of doing it. And he doesn't react typically that slowly. He, he moves his body, but he knows he can't handle the ball. So he kind of has to move his arm behind him as he's moving across, which obviously kind of hinders his movement as well. And I just thought, so many times in football, when it's the other way around, people bemoan the, the lack of a man on the post. But I thought that was the best example. If Murphy was standing five yards forward, or six yards forward, or whatever, and could help hinder uh, Rooney's run, uh, oh, sorry, Jason Kerr's run. Yeah, uh, Kerr scored the first. Yeah, if he could stop Kerr's run, then that would have that would have been a lot more beneficial than him standing on the post and just be seeing a, a, a powerful effort fly past him. Yeah, ab- absolutely, because... The, the biggest issue of, of that goal was uh, Porteous and his positioning because if you look at the two, I think it's Hanlon and uh, most likely be like Irvin or McGinn, so they're man-marking and they're touched tight to their uh, to their opponent so they're, they're not getting a good run. Porteous, body position at all point was all points was was wrong and he never got uh, he never got touch tight to care so by the time he turned and he'd lost care he'd mis- misjudged the flight of the ball and then he wasn't able to put kind of just a little bit of uh, physical pressure on care to put him off it was um it wasn't his finest moment right let's move on to the second tip oh, oh sorry the final thing I was going to say just for just for a bit a wee bit of patter uh, it was it was almost better hearts losing to Wraith Rovers earlier in the day because I had all my fucking hips mates giving us absolute pelters for it and then I was like alright brilliant like can't, can't even say that they're getting pumped to home Wraith I mean what can you actually say other than we're shite and this is an embarrassment but then then that goes and happens and it just meant especially since I had a few beers as well I was just not not hanging back just absolutely tearing into them it was glorious <laughs> You would you would think with the, the, their their history of the team they support that they would maybe think right maybe we'll wait to see what happens in the semi final first and then once we get through then we'll bring up the rave game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's move on to the second semi. Livingston beaten St Mirren by one goal to nil. A game that started fairly entertaining, ended fairly entertaining, but it was a bit drab for the kind of sixty minutes in the middle. I think it's fair to say, Tom. Yeah, not 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 a great game. I mean, it was the of the two matches. It was the one I was kind of looking most forward to, and I thought um, the way that obviously the way that Livingston have been playing in the last couple of months, and St Mirren being pretty dogged and and have had some fantastic results in the cup. I thought that this would this would be the the, the one to watch. Um, it wasn't partly, I think, possibly by design where Livingston got ahead fairly early on and until kind of the last 20 minutes managed to pretty successfully manage the game um but also the, the you know St Mirren maybe many things but one up front Eamon Brophy up front on his own did not work and the only out ball that they the only time they ever seemed to be of any threat was uh, was from set pieces until the last 20 minutes they brought a beak on and that that kind of changed things um so I think partly it wasn't a great game because, you know, Livy got ahead and they were able to... It was kind of another strength of the ball. I hadn't seen them manage a game like this because they've usually been pretty tenacious. They score and they will go look to go and, uh, and kill games off. And this, they looked a lot more like, right, we have our lead. We're, we're sounding them out. St Mirren didn't offer an awful lot until the latter stages. Um so I think a lot of the reason that it wasn't a particularly entertaining game was very good game management by uh by by Livingston and their you know their supporters are not going to care it wasn't a particularly exciting game either. Joe, what was your take of the game? Do you think it was a, do you think it was a mistake, first of all, to, to start Brophy? I know that he started the, the week before after his signing, but we we've kind of talked about it that Brophy, well, he's he's played one up front before. It's not the best way to get the best out of him. And with St Mirren kind of having settled in to a, a kind of way of playing, now that's not going to last forever. And I think it's perfectly fine to say, sign Eamon Brophy, give him a, a three-year deal, which I think is what they did, and say, right, this is, a, this is a leading man for the future. But for the meantime, let's kind of go with what's suited us recently. And what's suited them recently is a big guy up front who can hold the ball up and bring others into play. And knocking the ball long to Eamon Brophy for pretty much the entire first half 
certainly didn't look like a, a natural fit. Yeah, so I, I've, this, this is something I've, I think I spoke about last week, and I've, watching St Mirren last few um, last few games, having heard a lot of uh, of comments about their turnaround under under Goodwin, uh, and individual players being, being being praised to the help that they there's a real lack of cutting edge or creativity in, in, in the final third and that was on show throughout the 90 minutes against against um, Livingston you see as, as Tom mentioned they were most dangerous when they had two up front and when you've got a midfield that doesn't create a lot of chances for a striker because Brophy is someone who he'll do a lot of uh, will and work he will create chances for himself but it means getting the ball to him a lot for him to for him to try and do that and when I say create chances for himself I mean turn it and shoot from ridiculous uh, ridiculous angles so Brophy has been at his best when he was at Kilmarnock when he had uh, players around him when he played up front in his own that players around him like like Greg Stewart I don't see a Greg Stewart type player in the in the St Mirren team I think D- Dylan Connolly's got a lot of um, a lot of promise, as has Jamie McGrath. Brandon Mason is, by all accounts, a fullback or wingback playing as a, a winger. So just straight away, I looked at that team and thought, there's not a lot of support there for Eamon Brophy. There's not someone who is going to uh, kind of connect the dots almost between midfield and himself. And it's it's no surprise that they they, they really struggled to they really struggled to break uh, Livingston down. I think when Livingston seen that starting uh, starting lineup, John Guffrey and Effie Ambrose would have been absolutely delighted. And they obviously got a bit of more of a test when Obika came on. But uh, when you are as one-dimensional as St Mirren were and are at times, then Livingston are going to have, a team like Livingston are going to have very few problems. I think one of the things that... that, that sorry, sorry, just before, just before uh, you go on, Tom, that, that's something that uh, I was wary, uh, wary about with uh, with Brophy signing and St Mirren fans absolutely delighted by it. I think he is a good player, but he needs to be, have the, the right players around him. And again, it could be a long-term thing with uh, Goodwin building a team and it's in the early stages. He's reduced the probably that the, the average age of it. So it is there, but at the uh, time and now, I don't think he's the ideal player in our... Uh, Forty-three, as you will. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a case of a he's a definite upgrade in quality over what is available, but not in the system that Goodwin has been. Goodwin ha- has been playing. I think last season Jim Goodwin fixed the defence. This season he's largely fixed the midfield, and maybe next season he'll fix them up front. But um, it, it, it hasn't happened yet. And you know, like you say, Brophy has played as a lone striker before. I think largely at Kilmarnock out of necessity because there there wasn't um, other options available when he when he was played as a lone striker. But but when he when he was at his best, he had you know Greg Stewart or or Nicky Kabamba um, around him, and he he got an awful lot more out of them. And you could see when Abika came on, he although. He, he cha- he sort of changed the momentum of the game. He wasn't the one. There were you know the two chances that they had both fell to Abika, and unfortunately, you don't really want them to fall to Abika because he he isn't a natural finisher. I think is being kind, but he he is suited the way that they've they've played. Um, he suited the way that they. Uh, he suited that that system an awful lot more, and when they were missing the kind of link players, in, in particular Jake Doyle Hayes, who has been the, the, one of the links uh, between the midfield and and, and attack, um, I was very surprised that they didn't they they weren't a little more progressive. Has 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 Doyle Hayes been the link? Because when I've watched him, he's been a, a wee bit deeper, and that's my issue with St Mirren is the fact that they don't have someone like that in the squad I mean McGrath is can play as, as a 10 but I, I still don't see him as that that that, can, that that consistent player who you can kind of hang your hat on as in a 4-2-3-1 uh, or uh, further forward in a 4-3-3 Probably not consistent and I, admittedly I am basing this on cup matches and the games against Aberdeen where he's he has been the you know he's been outstanding in all of those and has been mm. a little more progressive um I, i'm not not consistent but a big miss for the way that they set up and and get back and forward like i think the you know they were they were missing bodies they were and it was a very 
it was a pretty young central midfield and and Jado here doesn't necessarily provide a wouldn't necessarily provide a huge amount of difference in quality but the energy and having so and he does tend to get get forward in support at least whereas certainly for the first half any t- the, the only time there was open play uh, the only time we even saw Eamon Brophy from open play there was nobody surrounding him the only time there was any kind of threat was was from a couple of corners and you know some set pieces from from within their own half actually that were kind of launched forward it was a strange a strange approach or a strange team because of it because Kevin McPherson coming in for Jake Doyle Hayes okay fair enough it's somebody who could get their foot on the ball could spray passes around and you've got a midfield three who can all kind of do that McGrath can go be that link man Erehon is maybe not that is as much of a standout quality for him, but he's, he, it's part of his arsenal. Erehon in the centre of the park is kind of like a, a Swiss army knife. He can do a little bit of everything. So you, you've got the bodies there to try and pass your way around Livingston and keep hold of possession and dominate the ball, try and get Levy to retreat. But instead, they just bypass the midfield, especially in the first half, just lodged it over their heads. And if you're going to do that, and there are other areas as well where he was a little bit, Goodwin was a little bit cautious, like starting... Mason over Dermis on the left, then it also, I'm not sure it made much sense to start with McPherson and not, for instance, Ryan Flynn or Sam Foley, somebody with a bit more experience. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to just knock it long and you're maybe going to try and, you know, beat Livingston at quote-unquote their own game in terms of, you know, trying to battle in, in the midfield area, then, you know, why not go with the guys who are more used to battling rather than and some of these kind of younger players who are, a bit more technical and a bit more kind of nicer to watch on the ball, but maybe not as effective. And if that's your your strategy, I, know, I just thought it was. I just thought no, it was absolutely. a bit, I mean, bit I, weird. I, I, I would be fascinated to know what um, Goodwin saw in in Effie Ambrose and, and John Guthrie that made him think we'll be able to sit deep and hit this long because it had to be by design. Like it could. He, the, the selection that he put out, fair enough, maybe it didn't fit that, but it was the only thing that they were doing in the first half anyway. There was the only thing that during the only direction they were going. Um, admittedly, Livingston did, sit, you know, they, they scored and they, they sat a little deeper, but they're, I, I don't know what the plan was with this. I don't know what the what what Goodwin's plan to impose anything that he, any ideas he had on Livingston in this game. Looking at Livingston, maybe he said this is one of their worst, if not their worst, performance since Martindale became full time manager, and yet they've won a cup final to get into the sorry, they've won a cup semi final to to get to a final against Johnson, which I think a lot of people will fancy them to win, uh, and that uh, I think says a lot about the immediate turnaround at Levy. Uh, and I wonder as well whether having got the early goal having given themselves something to potentially lose I wonder whether nerves could have kicked in at all because I don't think they were quite as I don't think they would have been quite as deep at points in the, in the second half if it was just a, a bog standard league game I think they would have, would have maybe went out a wee bit more to try and, and, and kill the game off but at the end of the day they got the result they needed and a lot of that Joel was to do with Scott Robinson uh, when you when you were watching Scott Robinson playing in a, a midfield two for Gary Locke's Hearts <laughs> alongside Jamie Hamill, are you thinking, yes, this is going to be a man of the match in a cup semi-final one day, scoring the goal while being a central striker? No, and it's even more so because we actually saw him as a central uh, central striker when he first came into the, the Hearts team as Lazlo kind of tried to make something off him I, in that position. I, I think... You wrote somewhere. I think maybe it was uh, in the in the document for the, the the TV show was the fact that as soon as he dropped out into playing for his fife, and I think it was it was it was on amateur terms when when he did so. That as soon as that happened, that you're you're kind of there was almost like an understanding or an, an acceptance. Okay, that's 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 where he is. He's he's one of those players who uh, broke through top flight club. Well, and then kind of just drops, 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 and to 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 find himself back where he is 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 incredible. I'm, I'm I do remember uh, speaking to mates, and someone uh, laughed about uh, having Scott Robinson up front. It was like he would he would uh, head and shoulders above most uh, most fucking hearts hearts team at the moment. Oh, and- but he'd undoubtedly be shite if we got him back. No, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, every, every single one of those Livingston players put him in the hearts team, and they just they just turned to turn to dust. But no, Robinson. I, that he probably epitomises it 
uh, for this game and if, on their Martin deal. But I think this game as a whole shows it's more than tangibles of Livingston, just their their, their mentality and their character, their their attitude to to see out to 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 dig in. And I think that's been restored. Uh, I think that's been restored under Martin Dale and no one better than Robinson. And you you look at the just how. A big thing for for me when watching Livingston is how they uh, they're so intelligent. They get a lot of uh, a lot of it's about how they uh, make it difficult for teams to beat. They're really hard working, but they're actually a really intelligent team as well. And they read the game so well because you look, look at Robinson and just how they react to situations and how he reacted, how Effie Ambrose reacted to the uh, to the flick on, and Robinson reacted to the uh, to the header. And that's that's a big thing because with Robinson up front, they need someone who is switched on because he is. Kind of similar like uh, Brophy is if you're playing long balls to him, he's not going to, you don't expect him to bully defenders. So he has to be smart and he he, he has been. He has to know when to bump into defenders, know when to uh, kind of run in behind him. He is, obviously he is, the, he's the one player in that team who has uh, probably, like he's the, kind of the face of uh, the Martindale revolution on the pitch. It's, it's a bit like, if you've seen the film Ratatouille, the Pixar film Ratatouille, um, Martindale is like Remy the Rat and Holt was Linguini and now Remy the Rat is in charge of the restaurant and he doesn't have to be a, have a conduit between him and his art. Uh, that's tenuous. But, um, no, I, I liked it, Tom. I liked it. <laughs> um, absolutely, Scott Robinson. I mean, uh, his, his fifth goal in nine games... Previously, he had three and forty-two, and I mean, I, I think there are a number. There are four or five players in the Livingston team. You know, the the, the you could argue that the entire squad has been has been rejuvenated under uh, Martin Dale, but I think there are four or five who, even at the start of the season, you wouldn't have been surprised if they if you fast forwarded a year and they found themselves in the Championship or or, or League One, and now they are. You know, potentially going to finish the season with a cup winners medal could easily qualify for Europe. Um, incredibly tenacious performance from Scott Robinson, and I think it the way that it, there, there were times, and yes, it, I would say almost undoubtedly all round the worst performance I'd seen from from Livingston since Martindale um, came in, and I mean that as a compliment. But there was almost something. There's almost something like like they're playing a slightly different sport to everybody else, like. They're playing rugby league or something because they win second balls so often. It, it seems like if you if you take possession, get forward, and there will be someone to offload onto. You know, there's always a, a an option, and it's not an option for a pass. It's like there's always somebody else that's going to win either the, the second ball when you're tackled, or if you run into you know you run into a blind alley, there's somebody following up, and they didn't that's get an opportunity to do to do it quite as often as they have recently. But but there were spells, especially in the second half when they were breaking, that you could still see them doing that. Yeah, that, so sorry, I was uh, in Robinson shot uh, Tom there because I was just about to uh, say in the second half the one that kind of epitomised what you're exactly what you're talking about is when they broke and I think it was ended up with Nicky Devlin having the chance. It just seemed it was it was uh, I've never thought of that analogy before, but it was I think it was a very good one about rugby league is that someone someone gets tackled and then there's someone following up like Sybil gets tackled and Pittman's following up to collect the ball. He gets tackled and Holt picks up the ball and then he gets tackled. Robinson uh, Robinson fires it across and then Mullins. Mullins there, he gets tackled. Devlin's. Uh, is, uh, I think it's a, it's a really good analogy. And again, it, it, it comes down to the fact that just there, just, just how well this Livingston Livingston team read the game. And it's almost like uh, I can you remember playing Championship Manager or Football Manager. One of the training sessions was shadow play. That's what I can imagine Livingston doing. Uh, under Martindale, it sounds it'd be, it sounds really boring, but just him kind of drilling everyone and just like, uh, but but like almost just throwing a ball into the middle of the pitch, loose ball, and everyone kind of just scrambles and knows where their knows where their position is. They they, they they didn't play okay, they didn't play well, but at no point during that ninety minutes did I think, oh St Mirren, St Mirren are going to get a goal here, or St Mirren are going to win this. 
Okay, we'll leave the Beck Red Cup games for now. Well, forever. I don't doubt we're going to talk about them again in the future. That's that's a terrible segue for <laughs> We're going to leave the Beck Red Cup games and we're going to talk about the two Scottish Premiership games, but we'll only, we've kind of ran quite long, so let's just only discuss these for about 10 minutes. So instead of just going right through the matches piece by piece, we'll instead just, I'll go to you each and just ask for your kind of main takeaways from each game. So we'll start with you, Tom, and we shall begin. Let's go to Pataudry, Aberdeen 2, Motherwell 0. What was your main takeaway for this one? I think a, a one one from each team. I think there's been a bit of a debate around whether the the formation, the Aberdeen formation, uh, has worked as well as it had either in the se- uh, earlier in the season. I think this was one match where you really, you know, the 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 three four three or three four two one whatever it is, uh, really worked well with the sort of double wing back attack. Hang on, really hang, on well. hang on though. Hang on though. Was yeah. it was it a three four three? I, I was. This was. Uh, this confused me. I could. I to begin with, I thought it was three four two one because that's how Wisecout had it. And then the more I watched, it, I was thinking, this is a bit more like a a, a four two three one. It was, I, it was, I was like a. I was certain it was a. Yeah, I was certain it was a back four. Hoban was far too wide on the right yeah. to be a. Hoban went. Hoban went uh, far right. Oh, I don't. I mean. Uh, I thought at the time it was a back three, but Hoban, as soon as Liam Polworth got sent off, Hoban was basically playing wing back with uh, Ryan Hedges. Kennedy was further forward than he has been for uh, in recent games, and I and, and all well from what I had from what I took from it that all of the back three <laughs> technically scored, uh, although although Ash Taylor's was was off. Um, no, I'm, I'm pretty confident it was a back three. And, um, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the open, I am the opposite because I watched the opening like 10 minutes. Uh, just I, watched, I, I watched the whole 90 and I, <laughs> I was fairly sure, I, I, like, I may be entirely, entirely wrong because it, the game did open up an awful lot when Liam Powers got sent off and Hoban was playing at right back. Um, but certainly Brian Hedges was playing on as a kind of in a right wing back position and was then getting forward. So my, my ultimate point was Ryan Hedges playing wide got an awful lot more joy than Kennedy playing wide. Um, uh, in recent weeks, Kennedy's been largely played as a, as a wing back, which is fine for work rate purposes, but his final ball's not been great. He was pushed a bit further forward. His final ball improved an awful lot uh, um, more, and he was just a constant nuisance. Hedges playing wide meant that he kind of, he was constantly moving. Like he was, he was receiving the ball out wide, playing a pass and then finding himself on the edge of the box. Um, whatever the system, and I'm still fairly sure it was a back three, but whatever the system was, it worked. And, um, it, it caused Motherwell an awful lot of problems. Had it not been for Liam Kelly, then uh, it could easily have been four or five nil. On Motherwell's point, the, they seemed to have made so much pro- progress against Rangers um, uh, 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 last week, uh, especially in defending balls into the box. Here, they kind of went back to the, the side that is quite rightly at the bottom of the league. And every time there was a dead ball, uh, every time there was a corner, every time there was a cross coming into the box, and they looked like they were going to concede. They did because concede it was, two it was like a, that. It was, it was because in the second half, all they did was, uh, Aberdeen must have had, I don't know, six, seven corners. Every single corner, they allowed Aberdeen to just do, two, uh, it was 2v1. It was Kennedy and Hedges, yeah. and they would just yeah. do 2v1, play around the player, and then just run into the box and then be able to cross it. So that's where the that's where the second goal came from. Because uh, they just they just allowed Aberdeen to uh, work it around them. As I, I seen it first, and I thought, okay, uh, I think it was just after the sending off. So they, they probably they probably just a mix up. They won't that they won't allow that to happen again. And then it happened again and again and again. It was it was almost like they were willing Aberdeen to come into the box, but then that that's fine. But you got to defend it, which 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 they ended up uh, didn't. It was just I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah, the, the, especially the second one where not only do they switch off from the corner, you know. It's kind of amateur level that if there's two men taking the corner, you might want to watch the second one. Let Hedges run in on goal. Nobody deals with the ball across the box. And then like Jake Carroll's at the back, like, oh, yeah. And but the they, they, they got there. warning because of uh, <laughs> Ash Taylor's the six yard box. They got they got a warning because Ash Taylor, uh, his, his disallowed goal came from the a 2v1. And then they just they just kept on allowing uh, Aberdeen to do it and do it. I don't know if uh, either it was a really bad plan 
from Motherwell, or it was just uh, it was it was it, was, it reeked off incompetence that the that no one on the pitch or the sidelines uh, kind of switched on and thought we can't allow them to do that because generally it was the most obvious thing that one of the most obvious things for footballers to do if they've got two people at a corner then you move two people out there to stop them taking it short and running at the box which Aberdeen did time and time again. <laughs> My main takeaway for this one was uh, Sherwin Seedorf. Oh, Jesus, is he rubbish? <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's kind of mental that Graham Alexander, he, he started to bring, well, did, I'm trying to think, did Kelly arrive at the club? He pretty much arrived right away. I think they very much had that lined up anyway. And so he's obviously been an upgrade. And they did need to sign a goalkeeper, to be fair. But they're now going out and signed another striker. It's a big striker. And he came on, and uh, I've blanked on his name, Harry somebody. Harry Smith. Harry Smith, that's it. And he certainly looked like he was a big boy, and unlike guys who usually come up to Scottish football who are big, he actually has a decent jump on him as well and can win the ball in the air. So that'll be interesting to see if that kind of changes Motherwell's kind of style of play going forward. But I still can't believe they've not gone out inside this a winger yet, because they don't have any that are any good. And starting with Sherwin Seedorf in this game kind of proved that. He was rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. And it, it continues to be a big problem for Motherwell. And also Liam Polwar said it off was very funny. Not only was it very funny, but getting sent off for a foul and abusive language, and if you watch the highlights, being able to hear someone on the sidelines go, oh, fuck off, ref, like resonating around the entire empty stadium is very funny. And it was, it was also the bizarre aspect of him getting sent off, but I'm having to hobble down, like, well, kind of walk down with his, almost his arm in a sling. Uh, because the way the way he fell, it was, um, it was, it was quite amusing. Um, my... So yeah, I made notes about the the the, the formation and the, the the corners. The first goal, uh, obviously Hoban scores it, but Hoban did really well before it was it got taken. Sam Cosgrove, who for me was a wee bit off it. Um, it looked like sometimes when he runs. It looks like I think they do like a drill they do in the NFL is when you know when like someone's having to sprint and they've got rope around them and someone else is holding them back. Oh yeah, 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 like a training thing, yeah. Yeah, um, that is that is Sam Cosgrove, and uh, it just seemed like he was not switched on as with the creative players around him. Sorry, there's a phone going off in the background. Um, but it was Hoban, so Cosgrove for the first goal switched off, and Hoban had to tell him to get into the right position, and then that when he did, it, it meant that Gallagher had. Uh, two players to mark had Hoban to mark and Cosgrove to mark and he ended up not marking either and it opened up uh, for Hoban to score set pieces this weekend were terrible absolutely terrible defensively right let's move on to the game Ibrox I'm sure you're going to bring up this up yet again because uh, Rangers scored twice from set pieces in a, in a 5-0 victory over Ross County my kind of main takeaway for this one, I mean, it was a walk in the park for Rangers, as we kind of expected it was going to be. You're playing one of the worst teams in the league at home. You've not been particularly that great yourselves, but they've started to show a bit more life recently. And you were kind of thinking, somebody's going to get smashed here. It happened to be Ross County. But I still didn't really agree with John Hughes setting up in a 3-5-2 system. Because you're kind of conceding the wings to the team that crossed the ball most in the league. And that's pretty much what happened at the opening goal. Tavernier had too much space to get the cross in. Manelis nods it, not down, but nods it across and Kent comes in. And a good header. Kind of one of those tricky headers that usually you see players missing quite a lot because it's, it's hard to get over the ball. But he done very well to just kind of put the right amount of power on it so it just kind of looped into the back of the net. But yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't get playing 3-5-2 against Rangers. I think you're being generous. Uh, I think it was, it was more like a 5-3-2. Um, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. Like conceding the yeah, wings, yeah. conceding the wings to Rangers is yeah. never a good idea. These, yeah, that first goal was the, um, the the first two goals, and then obviously the the penalty as well. So bad defensively, but a second one, the penalty was it was quite good pressing from Rangers. But without trying to sound like Alex McLeish after Kazakhstan, uh, the Kazakhstan defeat for Scotland, uh, I was like, oh, County look okay in these first four minutes, and then they, they conceded conceded that goal, which was um, Callum Morris. I don't know why he's getting dragged to Yakoviti with uh, Morelos, and then that leaves a massive gap when you're playing five at the back with uh, with Kent to score. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you can't like you you can to some extent you can write off Ross County going going to Ibrox and you know getting smashed. There's, there's no real shame in that, especially where they are. But John Hughes it was naive and to say that we you know we set up to be hard to beat like if you want to stop 
if you want to even start considering how to stop Rangers, stop Tavernier shelling balls from 40, 50 yards. And he did that all day, like all the space that he wanted. And especially if you were going to set up with a system that presumably is to, to make things congested in the middle of the park and to give them less time on the ball. Like you, but basically Ross County set up letting Tavernier have a lot of space and with a very, very high line. And yes, for the first four minutes, they looked fairly... Uh, you're like, oh, they're in this. You know, they're they're putting themselves about. But you let if you let Tavernier float crosses in from the halfway line, sooner or later, you're going to get going to get problems. And, and so Rangers score from that. Shortly after that, Callum Morris, very high line, trying to take the ball out of defence. When there's two men bearing down on him, they get a bit lucky. Yakoviti wins the ball back from Kent, then takes three heavy touches and gives away and has to chase back and give away a penalty. So I think while the you know in isolation, fine at the end of the season, uh, Ross County's position in the league is not going to be particularly determined by whether they got smashed by Rangers five 0 I, I don't think Rangers really needed to get out of first gear. I don't really understand how John Hughes can say, you know, the man who would have delivered ten in a row, John Hughes, that we set up to be hard to beat um, when they played such a high line, when they played into Rangers' hands with, with so with, with so many tactical decisions, even even in the selection, dropping players, you know, Ross County, um, the, the the selection, um, Jermaine Hilton's had a very good. Uh, few weeks uh, he was really good in the Aberdeen game uh, a couple of weeks ago he, uh, and quite a quite a bold move um, to take on uh, Leo Hyoda who's only 17 and throw him straight, straight into the starting lineup. so yes can't really complain too much if you get beaten but I do think Ross County played in their hands I had one um, it's hard else what to say well obviously Rangers scored a couple of absolute brilliant goals here the Rebo uh, the Rebo strike and the the 373 pass move which ended with uh, Ryan Jack scoring but the big one like the real big one that for me that stood out was like uh, we had the, my JR the WWE commentator moment when there was this ball guy running around in the midfield I was like who's that I was like by god it's Ross Reaper <laughs> <laughs> he looks scary enough <laughs> now he's got a skinhead he looks fucking terrifying and on that note I think that'll do us for, for Monday's podcast thank you very much to Joe and to Tom thank you to everybody for listening if you'd like to hear us talk about how shite hearts are and whether there's a title race in the Scottish Championship this year then you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast where as, as little as £2 per month you can get a lot of extra content you can obviously get the £5 a month which will unlock everything and £7 a month which gets you a couple of goodies as well at the end of the season so yes once again that is patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast and until the next show I'm Craig Fowler say goodbye goodbye cheers sports social podcast network